Hello, friends. Welcome to the third episode of the Very Funny Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gear. We got a great uh, time ahead of us today, I believe, I hope. Um, first of all, I want to go ahead and apologize. You might be hearing some sniffles, some uh, <coughs> coughs. I'm recovering from a very terrible cold. I was actually considering postponing the podcast, but um, I, I felt better. You know, sometimes you have a cold and you're like, oh my God, I think I'm over it, but you're not. I'm in that phase right now and I'm like, I'm going to press record and start uh, start start going for it. So today's episode is brought to you by Dayquil. Excuse me. And uh, <laughs> I have so much vitamins. They're not sponsoring me. It's literally brought to you by Dayquil. I'm hocked up on on drugs and Dayquil and stuff, and it's um, it's terrible. So I apologize in advance for my voice. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying as much as possible to push through the phlegm. That word phlegm, actually, I'll talk about that a bit in the show today, where I learned that because I want to talk about books that I read today. But um, but man, actually, I'll tell you right now, <clears throat> there was a book called The Stand, which which I have here. Uh, I should have I should have pulled it. Hold on, let me go get it. There we go. This book called The Stand. I purchased this used on uh, eBay because I wanted this exact edition. It says, for the first time, complete and uncut. It's unabridged. Check this out. The artwork is incredible. I'm trying to make it so that the lighting doesn't reflect. That's Stephen King right here. The artwork here is amazing for the cover. Um... So this book is enormous. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best books Stephen King's ever written. I haven't I haven't read all of his books, so it's unfair to say that. But uh, it's a thousand one hundred and forty nine pages. It's an incredible novel. So this is where I learned the word phlegm from. So here, let, let's talk about what I wanted to talk about today, and that was books. <clears throat> I've uh, a lot of people ask me, you know. A lot of times uh, when I do interviews and stuff like that, like, hey, what do you attribute your creativity to? What do you attribute your ability to tell jokes? And it's it's really is to reading. I, I've actually told people that if you want to be better at anything or if you're lost at any phase in your life, pick up a book, any book. Just walk into a bookstore, grab a book, start reading. You'll often find the answers that you've been looking for um, in the characters because you might start to see a character in a certain story arc and they're having a good time and you're like, man, I want to have a good time like that and it'll get you going. So when I when I was a kid, reading was always something uh, very that I loved. And my parents, I give them credit for this. Um, they did a great job of really instilling the love of reading in me. And um, I, I was the youngest reader in I don't know if it was California or in my uh, in my county or something. But my mom, there was a book with bears, maybe called the Bernstein Bears. I don't know why I remember this. But I was in kindergarten. And my mom sat with me and she went through the passage and I learned how, you know, the alphabet first and then I learned how to read and I could read the entire like paragraph. And sorry, my phone, I got to put that silent. I could read the entire paragraph and um, and then the entire page. And then I went to school and I read through it and the teacher wrote a a note and and she got it that it, I was the youngest reader or something like it was it was an amazing accomplishment so as a young kid i was like wow i can i you know it was something amazing and then my uh my mom oh by the way shout out to her always very instrumental in my education sitting with me and my my sister at home and making sure that we, we you know we as many mothers do um that their kids are 
you know, learning and stuff. But hers was a passion to drive me beyond like just helping me with the homework. It was like teaching me how to love something. So um, what they did, my parents, which was brilliant, they put a library uh, in my bedroom and uh, in, in actually in the house in between my bedroom, my sister's bedroom, we shared a bedroom. And the books in the library were off limits. It was a library full of books, huge library. And as a kid, man, you guys know how when you're a kid, you look at something, it looks so much bigger. Just like when you're on the playground and you see these kids that are maybe, uh, you know what, they're you're seven and they're like 14, but to you, they look like they're full grown adults. This library was massive. I was always a big kid, but, and this was still a huge library. It was basically from the floor all the way up to the wall incredibly wide it had hundreds of books <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of books and those books were off limits I wasn't allowed to touch those books those books aren't for you and that was all a ploy um it, I think that was genius there was nothing wrong with the books there they were they were there was no porn or adult stuff in the in the thing the books were just um really good books all books you know thick adult type books and uh, I'd be punished if I touched any of the books. So immediately, obviously, what did I want to do? I wanted to see those books. I, my parents would say, "You're not. You, you haven't read enough. You, you're you, you're not good enough at reading to 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 read these books. You know, you need to have read more." So I was like, "I can read. We'll read. We'll make it happen." What my parents used to do, if I was a really good kid, um, they would say, "Okay, if you're good this week, because I, I was hyperactive and I had asthma, as I said in the last episode." And I was a terrible kid. I used to make jokes all the time and I wouldn't like, you know, I just wouldn't sit quietly in class, which by the way, if, if your kid is like that, I think that's a great thing. If your kid is, you know, has an overactive imagination and they don't sit quietly and they're bored and uh, I, I please don't label that as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and label it as creativity and try to encourage it in a healthy way. <clears throat> My parents would say, look, if you're good, we'll take you to the bookstore. At the end of the week, you can get any book you want. And... um I'd be good that week. They'd take me to the bookstore. We'd meet my sister and, and my parents. We'd go in and I could choose anything. And I'd jump in this bookstore and I would run around. And the cool thing about bookstores, this is when I was growing up in America, is you can sit and read, uh, you know, whatever book you want to get. You can like sit and peruse. So we'd be in the bookstore for hours. And my parents would let me get whatever I want. At the time, it was mainly comics because I was I loved, you know, Marvel Comics, the X-Men was huge in my life. Uh, and I loved Ninja Turtles, but I didn't get the comics at the time. I was into the cartoon. I didn't even know there was a comic, um, that he was even based on a comic. Excuse me, once again, all the medication. Um, so my parents, I'd go in there, I'd look at all these books, and uh, I remember one of the first books I chose was Scary Stories and uh, the Goosebumps books, because those were popular and people were talking about them. And um, and then I, I chose a book called Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. And um, it's, for those of you who don't know, it's a story about, a, it's a comic strip written by Bill Watterson that was a serial comic strip that was then made into a, to like a book that you could get and have the whole collection instead of having to go through the newspapers. And it was about a kid called Calvin and um, his pet tiger Hobbes, obviously Calvin and Hobbes, the philosophical figures, but it's... Uh, in this context, he has a pet tiger. It's a stuffed animal tiger that only he can see as a real tiger. And everybody in the adult world sees it as a stuffed tiger and a kid with an overactive imagination. And um, it was 
hilarious. But what drew drew me to it wasn't you know the jokes or anything. It was it's a t- kid with his pet tiger. My name Nimmer means tiger in English, so it was a no brainer. And the illustrations were beautiful. As a child, you look at drawings and they they capture you. And I would read it back to back, and I, I miss those times when I could read the same book like a hundred times, or go through the same thing, the same video game like twenty times over and over and over again, where I had the time to do that and and the passion. And I think that you get so blown away by things when you're young because you don't see them as something you're used to. It's just like, what the hell? When I first saw Terminator 2, my parents let me watch Terminator 2 Judgment Day when I must have been maybe eight years old. I just begged them and begged them and begged them. And finally, they said, if you're good, you can watch it. And I watched it. That movie changed my life. I may have watched it maybe a thousand times. It just blew my mind. It was so insane. It still does. It's outstanding. And if you can get it on Blu-ray, get it or 4K HDR and watch it because the cinematography from back in those days is so much better than anything that comes out now. It looks like it was filmed 50 years in the future because now, man, you look into a camera screen and you can see it's like, yeah, I don't like that light over there. It turned off. But back then it was all calculations. It was all scientific. So you had these geniuses who would sit and lay out an entire scene and the lighting and everything because they knew they couldn't see what it looked like until they basically were, were done filming and were looking at the film reels. It was a different time, man, back then, um, a more disciplined time. So I get these Calvin and Hobbes books and I'm reading through them and I, I really must have understood maybe 10% of the books. They're, they look like they're for kids, but they're not. They're for adults. It's very brilliant humor. Um, I'm going to pull up a few of, of the quotes. I, I actually put them down here, but I can actually I can tell you them from memory. Some of the stuff that you'll read in Calvin and Hobbes, it's him having conversations, say, with his tiger. And I remember one of them was, uh, one of my favorites is, sometimes the surest sign that intelligent life exists elsewhere than on Earth is that none of it has tried to contact us. So it would be little philosophical, thought-provoking gems like that. Um, and I would read through these, and I wouldn't understand half of it, but I loved this kid who was, you know, really bad in class, and he'd run around, and he had an imagination, Spaceman Spiff, and he, he, his teacher would kick him out of class all the time. I saw, I saw myself in this kid. When I was 10, we left Lebanon, we came to America, and my father and my mother packed all our books away, and amongst them were my comic books and Calvin and Hobbes and the little novels that I had. Uh, by acquired by that time from our trips and we went to Lebanon and they disappeared into a uh, storage space somewhere and when I was in English class uh, I was so advanced uh, in school in Lebanon and the level of education in Lebanon is much much higher and much much more difficult than that in America or Europe or anywhere for that matter um, you have to learn Arabic English and French and it's, it's insanity and my English was so good that the teachers, I, I debated with a teacher once uh, and she said that I was wrong and I proved her wrong by going to a website on the internet and asking them to fact check it. And she was so awesome that instead of humiliating me or shouting at me for doing that, she hung it on the wall and said she was proud of me for having passion. And that humbled me a lot, that that moment. Um, and I had another English teacher called Salim, Salim Fadil who used to hit all the kids with rulers. He was awesome. He'd have a jacket that was custom made with little pockets for different rulers. 
And whenever somebody would act out, he'd open up his jacket pocket and he'd be like, mm, like he'd get so excited over like, which ruler am I going to use today? Then he'd pick one out and be like, no, 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 no. And then he'd find the right one to make us open our hands and hit it. <laughs> oh, man. But anyways, I was so advanced that uh, him and other teachers would just let me uh, read books in class. I wouldn't pay attention. I wouldn't follow with the class. The test would come and I'd always ace it. And the thing was, I understood English and I still understand English. I understand sentence structure and grammar and um, I write and I obviously do stand up, which is a speaking art and uh, a lot of wordplay. But I cannot tell you why a sentence is supposed to be this way. I can't tell you that uh, the past participle and the present, I don't know any of that. I don't understand it at all. Intrinsically, I have no idea what's going on. I just know that this is how it's supposed to be. And it was always because I was reading from such a young age, the thought pattern and the structure of language uh, became ingrained in me, which is why it's very important, I think, for your children to, to, to get them to read as soon as possible. And um, I scored ridiculously high on the SATs. Like when it came to testing in English, I, it was it was a no brainer. But it was always the reading, and, and I never understood personally where I got this command of English from. Uh, I I would write essays with words like um, uh, 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 tyranny and and uh, imperialism and all these big big totalitarianism. I remember I, I wrote an essay once, and I said the totalitarianistic system of the. And my teacher said, where do you know totalitarian? I was 11. Like, why are you writing totalitarianism? And I knew what totalitarianism was. I just don't know where the hell I had heard it. I know my parents had never talked to me about it. When I was 17 or 18, I got my books back. And I find my Calvin and Hobbes collection. And I rip it open. I'm so excited. I start reading it. And I'm shocked. My sentence structure. My, a lot of analogies I had made. My use of the word totalitarianism, authoritarian, all of these words, everything, the, the way I explained my thoughts, my rhythm, my patterns were in those pages. Calvin and Hobbes had so influenced my, my, my subconscious that it was in, the, in my work. It was me and I had no idea. I've always been blown away by how much something can have an impact on someone that you can't even consciously link to it. And then when you see it, it just like all the pieces fit, like it never even occurred to me. I never understood what I was reading, but yet my brain was still absorbing it and calculating behind the scenes what certain words meant by putting together the puzzles of different meanings from different anecdotes in the same novel or in the same work. It was kind of like putting the story together of Dark Souls. But it was happening on autopilot and of the Souls series. For those who play the Soulsborne series, you, you know what I mean, uh, the From Software games. And, um, and that was me realizing that connection. But when I, I, my love for reading never left me. When I went back to Lebanon, I always wanted to read. And I think I, I, I was, as I mentioned in the last podcast, starting to feel like I could be me unapologetically me and I didn't have to hide my love for reading and, and people would call me out a geek right now. People encourage that. But back in the day, man, reading comic books, playing video games, reading books, you were a nerd, you were an idiot, you were a doofus, you were a dork. People would make fun of you. Um, so I wanted to be an adult. I wanted to be a man. I wanted to be regarded. So the first thing I thought was, let me read books, big books. And I was still not allowed to read the books in my parents' library, which they had now situated in Lebanon in the living room, once again, next to the room my sister and I shared. 
in not the living room, saw the family room. If you guys remember a family, I don't know if we still do that in today's day and age, but there is a family room where the TV and the couches and all that. So um, <clears throat> I went and I bought a book probably when I was 10 or 11 called Inca Gold by a guy called Clive Cussler. I don't even know if these books are good. It was just thick. It was a thick book. I was like, I'm going to get a thick book. And I used to read it. And I tell my parents, it's 300 pages. I'm on page 127. For me, like the metric was I can finish these books and understand them. And then I just wanted to get bigger and bigger books to prove that I was an adult. And although my objective was so asinine, it it was a gateway. Because without me realizing it, even though my heart was in the wrong place, I was still absorbing these books. And I started to fall in love with these worlds from these books. And as the books started to get thicker and thicker, and Inca Gold at the time was blew my mind, but I was 10, so I, I can't recommend it officially, but it definitely was amazing. It was, I, I love the Uncharted games um, because Inca Gold is like the Uncharted games where, you know, you have Sir Francis Drake and you go, it's very swashbuckling. You know, you go on an adventure and there's, you find ruins and there's hidden things. And, and as the books started to get bigger, I, my, I finally was able to start pulling books from my parents' library when I was about 10 and a half, 11 years old. And uh, I started reading all these books. My parents had books that influenced me my whole life. Uh, Robert Fulgham, All I Ever Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten is a book everyone needs to read. Uh, John Henry, Roots by Alex Haley. Oh, the... the the fact that people don't, some people haven't read that book is a crime. It, it needs to be read by everyone. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember which, oh, Najib Mahfouz, who's a Nobel winning uh, uh, author, writer, Egyptian. Palace Walk, the trilogy is, the first book is just overwhelmingly powerful. Um, I'm trying to remember which books I was reading there that really influenced me. Well, anyways, as I'm pulling out these books, I'm looking for thicker books to read. I then find the thickest book, which is The Stand, okay? So this is the exact version that was in the library of my parents. Um, And uh, we have that book in Lebanon. I don't have it here in Los Angeles, so I went on eBay to get this same version because I want my fiance to read it like I did. And uh, by the way, this is why I got a Kindle, but I gave it to my mom because it's lightweight, makes it easy. She reads a lot still. Um, But I, I get books now instead of buying them on a Kindle, which is much more convenient because I want to have a family one day and I want to have kids and I want them, I want to have a library that they can also be forbidden from accessing and hopefully one day secretly open up the books and start reading. And, you know, just the fact to know, like when I held those books and to know that my parents um, had read those books and that these pages had been in my, you know, my mom's hands and my dad's hands. And they had like the, the, the you know, the, the bend here. Like my dad has seen something. He bent it here. Somebody wrote a note somewhere. The smell, smell of books. You know, you can't, you can't fake that. There's, there's something beautiful with that. So I picked out the stand, which was the thickest book. And I was like, I'm going to read this. And at the time I was, I know exactly when I was, I was 13 because my father, we had a sports store called Champ Sport in an area in Lebanon called Jrita. Some of you watching might actually know this place. And when I was 13, my dad, my dad always believed that I needed to be brought up in a, in a way to survive a very brutal world. My father had grown up in war and all he knew was war. And this is very common for everybody from the Middle East. So he used to uh, purposefully uh, deny me things that would make me happy. 
So he would do it. Uh, I'm trying to find the right translation. In Arabic, it's a term called yindak or yidakni. Yidakni means kind of the to kind of like when when it, to work something to like just beat it down, beat it and beat it and comes out stronger, right? Like if you uh, if you're uh, forging. Uh, a sword, you keep beating on the metal blade and folding and beating and folding and beating. So what my dad would do is he would put me through uh, very difficult situations that would make me feel like, ugh, like I it just, he'd make me, he would, he would make me uh, 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 agitated, angry, furious all the time because I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. And, re- and they're stupid things. He had to endure so many, so much worse, as did my mom, as did everybody in a generation behind us. But he made these artificial hurdles for me to overcome. So, you know, it'd be summer and I'd really want to go out and play with my friends. But he'd be like, no, you got to go work in the store six days a week, nine to seven p.m. So I'd have to take a bus, go up to the store uh, and at nine a.m. And uh, I would work. There was a girl there called Antoinette. And the first uh, year, summer, she was there. The second summer, he he paid her, but he told her, don't come, let Nimmer take over by himself. And I did. And I was that was the summer that I was 13 in. So I was 12 when I first went up there, 13 the next year. And on Sundays, I wasn't allowed to go out. It was family day. So my whole summer would be either in the store or at home. I couldn't see my friends, and it, was just, it would just infuriate me. Um, and I'd go up to the store, and I'd sit there, and he would let me, by the way, like buy stuff and sell them so I could learn commerce. Like He'd give me my first salary, which was 300 a month. Not even, sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was what it was supposed to be. He gave me about 100 a month. But then I bought some basketballs and sold them. And with the profit, I bought more this. And that. So he'd see, like, buy whatever you want. Um, you buy it, put it in the store, sell it, and you take all the profit. So, you know, that's where my love for business started to develop. Anyways, I'd be in this store for hours a day, and I'd read. And this book, I finished this book, and I'm not lying, in three days. At first, I wanted to finish the book to say I was finishing the book. But within 10 minutes, this book, every page just grabs you. I can't recommend it enough. I was like, I forgot that whole thing, and I was just furiously tearing through it. The whole day at the store, whenever I wasn't with customers, I'd be reading behind the counter. Then I'd go home, and I'd read it at home. And then go to sleep and then wake up the next day, read it on the bus up to the store and so on and so forth. And this is where I learned the word phlegm, F-P-H-L-E-G-M. I remember I read it for the first time because this is a story about a man who is in some kind of biological testing uh, facility, secret government thing. There's a leak and they shut down the whole thing. Everybody dies inside, but this one guy escapes and he basically carries the plague. Uh, or some form of it. And it's a story about the apocalypse and the end of man from this one incident. And this guy gets out, and uh, I remember he, in some passage in the book, he either coughs or sneezes or spits out phlegm. And I remember phlegm, phlegm, <laughs> P-H-L-E-G-M. And uh, that word always sticks with me. Whenever I get a cold, all I see is phlegm in my mind. It pops in. That sound I just made, that's regurgitating phlegm. And uh, really, reading gives you an association where perspective is so much different because you see things differently. The word phlegm, just to have a cold and associate it with the word phlegm is going to make you look differently at every sequence of events because it'll interrupt your thought pattern. 
Some people think I have a cold, they'll get medication, that's where it ends. I think I have a cold, and the way my brain works with my stand-up, I think I have a cold, I think phlegm, I remember the stand, I remember the store in Jaita. I remember my father, I remember how my father used to make me hate doing things so much, but I would do them, I, I hated my dad, but I loved him so much, and I didn't understand the emotion, and, uh, and, and he's such a complex character, and that's how characters should be written, they should be complex, and that's why I hate it when villains write, they're written in movies, they write villains in a way that are so black and white, you should always have a villain that you can sympathize with, because then in, in one way he's a villain, another way he's not, I'm not saying my dad's a villain, but I'm saying like these complex thoughts come from that, and then my mom used to always want to help me, so behind my dad's back, she would kind of like give me stuff or let me do stuff that he would have otherwise said no to. And I always thought that was it was something she was doing behind his back. But I, I found out later that they were kind of teaming up together. And that's what real love is. And, and then you start to think about real love and you you see it in examples of like God of War when I'm playing it. And it's a, a relationship with his son. And you start to think, man, that that's kind of like the way he was with my father when he wants to hold his kid. But he doesn't because he wants to make his kid a man. And his priority is to be a father, not a friend. And then when I'm on doing stand up and I'm talking about doing a show or when I'm doing a show and my set is, you know, if your kids are your best friends and you're doing it wrong. When I say that sentence, everything I just said before this flashes in a second. And that's because of reading. So I really think people should read a lot. And I I don't know if this episode helped to give across how much I love reading, but I, I want it to be how much you should love reading too. And my advice is just to go to a bookstore and get lost and pick up something for whatever reason it speaks to you. The cover is nice. You open up the book. They have some artwork in it and the artwork appeals to you. There, I know there's artwork in this book. I don't know if I can find it right now on a on a hat, I should have maybe had it prepared, but it, it, I just saw it flash by me, right? Whatever happens, the smell of the book speaks to you. You know, somebody recommended it to you. You know, you see an image like this and you think to myself, I want to know what's going on. Whatever it is, I mean, just pick it up and just read. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's the most important thing and nobody does it anymore because it affects who you are. You grow through these stories of other people. You gain their experiences and and you learn about how you can overcome so many things because this person overcame too whether it's a biography or fiction it doesn't matter it's all an adventure man and there's so many people who are writing out adventures join their adventures um it'll really be you'll really have a better life and uh that's basically all i wanted to talk about today was that if i wanted to recommend books i'd definitely say crime and punishment by fyodor dostoevsky but try to get a really good translation i got one here let me see let me see this right here show you this so there's a ton of comic books behind me here because now that i have i've always been a kid but now i'm a kid with a budget so i get a lot of comics and stuff and i have some in the storage space but look at this this is crime and punishment by fyodor dostoevsky and um i i took this with me from lebanon this is a print from 1951 so macmillan company 1951 it's important because all the translations you'll find now this is translated from the russian by constance garnett and Fyodor Dostoevsky is a Russian author. All the translations of this are penguin translations that I can find easily, and they're horribly translated. Um, they're propaganda translated. A lot of the communist stuff that you'll find in this is, it's not a literal translation, it's kind of like dumbed-down translation. So you won't understand what a commune is, they might put it as a collective. And these things really change the book. So um, this is from the AUB library. I checked this out from the AUB. I fell in love with Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. I read it when I was at the American University of Beirut. I didn't sleep. I finished it in the two days, and I had anxiety. 
in this story, a murder is committed and the writing is so incredible that you wake up thinking you committed the murder and you need to remind yourself that it's not you. There is no book like this in the world. And um, I wanted this exact copy because it meant so much to me. So I went to AUB and I asked them if I could buy it. And they said, no. And I said, I'll pay you whatever you want. And they said, no. I said, I'll give you $1,000. I didn't have it. I had like $5. And they said, no. And I was like, well, that's just bad business sense. So I said, well, what happens if I lose it? And they said, if you lose it, you have to pay $10. So I lost it. <laughs> I got I know that's not a good thing. But I really needed the copy of this book. And it's it's marked from all the, their notes here from other students that must have checked it out. There's like an Arabic, um, an English, uh, Somebody wrote here a masterpiece of Russian novels in, in pencil. And I don't know when this book had been with them since since 1951, I believe. That university is over 100 years old. And um, I don't think any book he's written is as good. And, and once you read this book, you start to wonder to yourself, why is this book so powerful than any other book? And you read about Fyodor Dostoevsky and you find out that he had um, epilepsy and he had incredible gambling debts. And he would write a book start to finish without stopping. He would nonstop just write, 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 and then have an epileptic seizure, pass out, and then wake up and then write, 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 write. And he was writing in between epileptic fits that would get worse and worse as time progressed so he could churn out a book to get money to pay off his gambling debt. If I'm not mistaken, he wouldn't even have time to proofread his own books. He would just put them out and they were immaculate. They were impeccable. And when he died, millions took to the streets and his, his writings influenced the world, but he died a broke man. Not only are his stories unbelievable, but the story behind the stories are unbelievable. So if I had to recommend books, definitely, you know, Crime and Punishment, The Stand uh, by Stephen King, um, Palace Walk by Najib Mahfouz. Um, I'm thinking off the top of my head right now. I should I should maybe put a list together one day, and maybe I will. If you want to see a list or you want me to talk more about something in particular, let me know. But um, I'd recommend those Tawahin uh, Beirut, uh, or uh, um, it's there's an English translation for it, uh, Beirut Grind, or something like that for Tufi Yusuf Hawad. Incredible book. Um, what other books really influenced me? Man, the Hardy Boys. When I was growing up, great books to get your kids. Comic books, X Men, definitely great. Teach about acceptance, um, and they're incredible. Uh, what else? Uh, what other books would I recommend? Those are the ones that are coming to my head right now. Oh, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. Must read. Jeffrey Archer, Cain, and Abel. One of the greatest novels ever written. It's it's part one of many, many. Um, but really, that there is nothing as monumental as that. Make sure you don't get the new edition that's been abridged for today's day and age don't get into that bullshit get it as it was old school and uh just get it used if you have to but cain and abel by jeffrey archer not the biblical cain and abel the jeffrey archer one is a accomplishment of mankind in terms of what you could achieve literarily oh orson scott card uh the uh the enders series oh some of the best science fiction you'll ever read in your life get all of the books enders game the movie was terrible. The books are unbelievable. The Harry Potter books. I haven't read them. I got them. Uh, my fiance introduced me to the whole series and it's so good. So I can't wait to start reading. I watched the movie. He's going to read the books. Um, I'll leave you with those. And I couldn't recommend them more. 
And if you guys have read any of them or, you know, in the comment section, let me know what some of your favorite books have been. And uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I really enjoyed talking about this with you guys today. Um, and uh, I think it's time for me to go and jump into some. Uh, I chose a couple questions that some people uh, sent me on on YouTube in the comments. or uh, And a lot of people, by the way, are asking me if I'm going to put the show out on Spotify or um, iTunes. And yes, there is. Uh, we're in, an, in a process. There is a guy called Riyadh. And uh, Riyadh is uh, is the coolest dude ever. He's a fan who reached out to me and said, hey, let me help you out. And uh, we're going through this. You got to upload the episodes. We have them uploaded. And then you do an RSS feed and you get it accepted by all these different platforms. So it's a process that we started on last week, but it takes about two to three weeks. So bear with me here on YouTube as we put these out. But soon they'll be available on you know iTunes and hopefully, I believe, Spotify and all these other platforms for you to enjoy. Um, so that's an update on that. And uh, Jean-Pierre Khoury uh, wrote me on YouTube. And um, I'm going to read to you what he wrote. He wrote, uh, still upset that I didn't get to go to your show when you were in here in Lebanon. But I just love that brilliant brain of yours and staying updated as much as possible. Thank you. That's very kind of you. I'm sorry you missed the show. I truly admire you for many reasons. Hoping one day I'll be able to spend time with you or something like that. Yeah, man. When I'm in Lebanon, um, and this goes for everyone, I... I'm going to be in Lebanon very briefly now in March. I'm leaving at the end of this week to a show in Miami. If you know anyone in Miami, tell them. Um, and then uh, I'm doing London, Paris, Amsterdam, and Berlin. And then I'm going to jump to Lebanon and do four shows. And I'll post about them on my social networks. If I have time, maybe I'll, I'll do a dinner or a meet and greet and we can all hang out. And I do that all the time. So we'll definitely meet up. If not this trip, I promise the next. Um, he said, one question out of curiosity. Of course, you had people asking you the famous uh, question, what if it doesn't work out? about your career. You've clearly succeeded now, but how did it make you feel back then? Did it make you want to distance yourself from these people, keep them close and work harder or to prove them wrong? Do the Macarena under the rain? All of the above. <laughs> um, yeah, distance yourself from these people. Uh, accept the people who are saying it. Nobody says you're never going to, anybody who says you're never going to make it, get, cancel them out of your life. Anybody who says, I'm afraid you're not going to make, or rather what they would say is, I'm afraid that if you don't make it, then you'll be left with nothing. Those people, if it's coming from place of love, your parents, they might be saying it for the wrong reasons. They might be saying it because, if they're saying it because they care what people think, forget that. But if they're saying it because they care about you, listen, my dad, every day, um, would tell me what a terrible job I was doing. I was throwing my life away. Um, because he would say, you're risking too much. You have a sure thing here. You could do this. Why are you doing comedy instead? And there's a high chance you won't succeed. But he wouldn't just say it like that and walk away. He'd say, because you're not paying attention with how you're spending your money. And what he would always be doing is kind of telling me where I could mess up. You know, you, you, you have no job security. How about starting a company? How about? And I would listen. And then um, sometimes I'd, I'd face a wall and I'd go to him for advice. And my mom as well, she would always tell me, you know, you love this, but are you sure you're in it because you love it or are you in it for another reason? Make sure you're doing it for, you know, my mom was always this voice of like, do it if you're passionate about it because if you're passionate about it, you're going to succeed. And my father was like, do it because you need to succeed to survive and become passionate about it. And that's a beautiful cross, man. 
when you get into those two worlds because it's it's between fantasy and reality. Fantasy meaning this is what you want it to be and reality meaning what sometimes you're not allowed to. I mean, life just dictates you got to pay your rent, you know, and this is the reality we live in. So it's important to listen to the people. But for haters, not just distance yourself from that and do your thing. And I know a lot of, I love that you asked me, like people who said you wouldn't succeed as if I've succeeded now. I still don't consider myself a success. For me, it's binary. I either achieve what I set out to do or I don't. And if I don't achieve my end goal and get to the final page of my story, then all of this was just uh, an, a very interesting chapter, but not um, not a success. So I'll leave you guys on that. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Very Funny Podcast. I apologize once again for my voice. Um, and uh, the next episode, I'll be much better. I'll also be um, vlogging and podcasting and all of that for my trip in Europe. I'm preparing videos that'll start coming out while I'm there. I'm going to keep the podcast on schedule. The next episode of the podcast, I might film and record before I travel and then record the next one while I'm there just to make sure that I get them out at the right time. Um, In which case, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'll see you guys on the road, hopefully, uh, for my upcoming shows, Miami, London, Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin, and the uh, shows in Lebanon. Uh, Head to my website, nimmercomedy.com to get your tickets. The shows in Lebanon, we haven't posted them yet, but... um, I'll post them soon. Thank you guys so much. I want you guys to take care of yourselves and I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.